0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: God was and still is working a plan of redemption for the whole world in order that whosoever would could be saved. Does that mean that the whole world is saved? No we know absolutely within not only scripture but we know in practical reality that those who are saved are the few few there be that find that narrow gate we understand that but it is open to whoever would come to the Lord
0: as we begin today's teaching with Pastor David Landry we're reminded that within every man's heart is a desire to belong and to be loved yet more often than not He tries to fill that void without surrender. As we consider the lyrics of John Wesley, we hear man's cry for redemption from his futile attempts for freedom from the consequences of sin. God was and still is working a plan of redemption that whosoever would come would find redemption for their souls through Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 7, with his continuing study entitled, Songs of the Season.
1: Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own and eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us. To thy glorious throne. Come thou long expected Jesus. We think about that song. I want you to consider some of the words, some of the phrases. It's not too difficult to understand why this song lasted for two centuries, a little over two centuries. It speaks to a people, and I believe people everywhere, that are longing for release, longing for freedom. It speaks of that inner need of man to be set free from all kinds of fears and the sin that so easily entangles us. It speaks of the fulfillment of the promises that God made long ago and how God is fulfilling that. Throughout the Old Testament, from the opening chapters of Genesis and the fall of man... All through the Old Testament, through the Psalms and through the words of the prophets, all of them spoke of the coming of promise. All of the sacrifices that were made and all of their worship, it spoke of the coming promise that was to be for Israel. And though Israel really didn't understand it, God made it very clear all throughout the Old Testament that it was really for all people. That it was going to be the hope for All people. So all through the Old Testament we see that. And the people were coming to the point of longing for, looking for their Redeemer, looking for their Deliverer. The blessed hope of that promised one, the anticipated one. Isaiah spoke about it in really a present tense, though it was going to be a, a future event. In Isaiah chapter 9, if you want to turn there, we can. We're going to be going through several verses, so I'm going to throw them out there, and if you want to write them down, that's cool. If you want to look at them, that'd be good too. But in Isaiah chapter 9, very familiar chapter. And again, you have to understand, Isaiah is speaking This idea of a present tense event, but in reality, he is prophesying what's going to be a future event. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, we read these words. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Now the fact is that light had not shone on them yet. But it was a prophecy of what was going to happen. A little bit later down in that chapter, we read about, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, he hadn't come yet. He hadn't come yet but it was the anticipation. It was the looking forward to that one. Mankind was already consumed in darkness. The darkness of the world that was around them, as well as their own personal darkness. Man was consumed by that. And do you know the problem, really, with walking in darkness? Somebody's going to say, well, you stumble. No, you've already stumbled if you're in darkness. The problem with walking in darkness is you get used to the darkness. You become accustomed to the darkness. George and Sharon were just joking around. George was saying how Sharon moves the furniture, and she says, well, yeah, but I don't move the bed, so at least you can get up and you can find it in the middle of the night. You know. So, but we know how that is. If you're walking around at your home, you get used to where everything is at. You, you know where it is. And when we walk, when mankind walks in darkness outside of the light of Christ, they get used to being in the darkness. They don't know any difference and then what isaiah says the people that walked in darkness upon them this light has shined he's he's declared the light the glory of who christ is problem with light is light reveals weaknesses and it reveals imperfections and that's why people who wander in darkness for a long time don't want to be in the light They don't want the light shining on them. Why? Because their imperfections, their weaknesses, their sin is shown. That's why John tells us in John chapter 3, verse 19, says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. He goes on in verse 20, he says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds might be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. You see, God desires for his creation to come and walk in the light, to no longer be in the darkness. That's why he sent Christ as the light of the world that we might walk in that light. The promised one was going to come, and he was going to bring light to the people. And so even though they would desire to walk in a manner that's pleasing to God, some find that that whole avenue is blocked to be able to live that kind of life. They struggle because the world around us, some want to walk in the light, But the world comes in, our own flesh comes in, sin comes in, temptations come in. And so suddenly we sneak back into the darkness because of our imperfections, because of our sin. And yet the Lord says, no, don't do that. Come back into the light in order that your sin, your weaknesses, your imperfections might be healed by that light. You see, when we struggle in our life and we pull back from fellowship of other believers, when we pull back from our walk with the Lord, we're not going to get healed by that. It's when we become totally immersed in the light of the gospel and the fellowship of other believers. That's when healing really starts taking place. And to prove it to you, I'm going to prove it to you right here. How many of you here this evening that outside of Christ, are absolutely perfect. Anybody in here outside of grace? See, we all need to come to the light. We all do. Because every one of us struggle in various and assorted areas. I took a survey earlier of some of your spouses that gave me some of the weaknesses that some of you have. I want to share some of these. No, I wouldn't do that. And God forbid that your spouse would do that to you. Yes. Man tried by rules and ordinances to help those imperfections. But we found out, no, the rules and the ordinances didn't do anything. It just frustrated us in the midst of it. That's why, again, Christ came. Man had no peace. Man had no rest. That's why they cry out, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears. And sins, release us. And let us find our rest in Thee. That's the hope. That's the anticipation. Set us free. Release us from fear. Release us from the power of sin. Allow us to come to You in rest. Although it would seem that, again, by many of the promises that were given through the prophets through the years... It would seem that the promise was only for Israel, but it wasn't. That was not the case. As a matter of fact, Haggai, one of the minor prophets, he declares in Haggai 2.7, God speaking, he says, I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. You see, Christ didn't come for an elect few. God so loved the world that he sent his son in order that whosoever believes might come to him and have everlasting life. God had previously spoken to Abraham, explaining that it wasn't just a portion of the world that God was concerned about, but God was concerned about all nations. He told Abraham not once, but he told him three separate occasions that the nations were going to be blessed through him then he was going to do a work through abraham that was going to be a blessing to all the nations of the world in genesis 1818 18, it says since abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him and he goes on to speak in genesis 2218 it says god speaking to abraham he says in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In Genesis 26, 4, it says, and I will, again, God speaking to Abraham, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God was and still is working a plan of redemption for the whole world in order that whosoever would could be saved. Does that mean that the whole world is saved? No. We know absolutely within not only in scripture, but we know in practical reality that those who are saved are the few. Few there be that find that narrow gate. We understand that. But it is open to whoever would come to the Lord. He says, again, Charles Wesley says in his song, in his hymn, he says, Israel's strength and consolation is hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And what an odd way God chose to bring his deliverance to his people. You know, You would think, and and we read in the Old Testament where suddenly an angel shows up, and boom, you know, he's he's there, and he does some mighty works, and he speaks, and boom, it's there. And you think, well, God could deliver. God could have delivered his people by, boom, all of a sudden Christ is there. But he chose not to. He chose that the Deliverer, the Redeemer, would be born as a child, as a baby, born in a natural and yet supernatural way. Born of a virgin, but born in a natural, physical way beyond that. God sent His Son into the world as a baby, born in a stable, outside the realm of dignity, outside the realm of authority, outside the realm of power. This one who was born to deliver the nations, was delivered in a stable. Why? Because God chose to bring him in in a way of humility. And in that humility, he served, he ministered, and he sacrificed his life. Why? Because of the greatness of God's love toward us. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. Our Deliverer came humbly, not in a large city of Jerusalem with a political and religious power center, but humbly in that little town of Bethlehem. The prophet Micah had foretold that again hundreds of years prior to the event. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we read, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. A little town among the thousands of Judah, born in a stable, not even in the humblest of homes. I mean, you know, you would have figured, okay, born in Bethlehem, that's pretty humble, at least in a house. No, it went all the way down to a stable. Not even in a home. And yet, he was born a ruler. The ruler of Israel, and literally and truly ruler of the nations. John reminds us in the book of Revelation, we just went through this, that he once came as a lamb. A lamb who was slain. And yet he is coming again, and I believe very soon, as that reigning king. He's the one who judges and he makes war with the nations. He's the one who upon his head were many crowns. He's the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet, he's the very one who called for men to come unto me and take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm lowly of heart, and you will find rest in your souls. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. We speak about these things. We speak of Jesus our deliverer, Jesus our king, ruling forever, gracious, glorious, heavenly kingdom, eternal. And, and here Wesley continues to bring the eternal one closer to each one of us as mortal beings, as he writes, by thine own eternal spirit, Rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. How is it that the eternal spirit of the immortal Christ is able to come and reign in our hearts? How could that even possibly be? Mankind struggles in the world. Within man, there's this innate desire. To belong and to be loved. Mm -hmm. To belong and to be loved. Man tries all that he can to fill that void. And more often than not, he tries as often as he can to fill that void without surrender. And that's a difficult game to play. And you will lose. You will lose. The only way possible for these things to come about in our life is to live a life of surrender. Really, for us, even in a natural sense, to belong, we surrender pretty much many of our desires, and we give them up for the desires of someone else or something else. Oftentimes, we'll compromise our identity to take on the identity of a group or a project or a cause or a team, the crowd or the gang. That's one of the big things we see in the gangs in youth today. Is just this feeling of belonging, and they're willing to set aside everything that they know in order to be a part of that gang. Think about it for a minute. As you look at your life, as you ponder your life, both your current life as well as the past life, where have you, when have you, and what have you surrendered in your life in order to simply belong to something? For some, this has brought about pretty negative aspects in our lives. Uh, you've surrendered to addictions, you've surrendered to lifestyles, you've surrendered to culture or to fad for some, though in a hopefully a, a positive way, you've surrendered uh, maybe your own focus and your own plans to become part of the focus of a family or a team or even a ministry. let's face it when you when two become one flesh. The best way for that to last the longest is for both of them to surrender and to work together. If it comes, hey, you know, you want to be my spouse, okay, here's the way we're moving. If you want to get on my wagon, jump on. But this is the way I'm that's a recipe for disaster. The idea is, yeah, we do surrender in some things. When we consider these things, we understand that some areas of life In surrendering our own will, it actually becomes beneficial in the long run. We surrender in order to gain. And again, uh, as I said, spouse, a family member, they surrender his or her will for the good of the whole family. A player on a team needs to surrender to the direction of the team itself. There has to be harmony in the midst of it. We see this in so many areas of our lives. It's in the surrender of our will that we see the reality of God's will being worked out in our lives. When I get off the throne of my own heart, then Christ is then able to take His rightful place. And then I experience the reality and the fullness of belonging to the greater family of God. But as long as I'm on the throne that I'm premier in my life, and I kind of expect it to be for you too, that I'm premier in your life. We are that way, aren't we? But when I get myself off the throne, Christ is on the throne, guess what? Christ is premier in my life, you become second in my life, and mine becomes third. And that's a wonderful way. That's when we really feel that we belong, that we are part of the truth, part of the family of God. We have a desire to be loved. The unfortunate thing, this has taken a lot of individuals, both young and old, down some paths that bring into their lives an abundance of emotional, physical, and definitely spiritual pain and scars. The one who who is love, though, the one who is love, desires to be the one true focus of our lives. And he demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And that's the greatest of all loves. He desires to continually show his love. And he shows that love by reigning and ruling in our hearts and our lives. And yet there cannot be any other greater love in our life. If you love your spouse more than you love Jesus, you're going to have problems both with Jesus and your spouse. You love your children more than you love Jesus, you're going to have problems with Jesus and your children. You love your job, you love your life, you love your health, you love anything more than you love Jesus, you're going to lose both of them. You're not going to have the fullness, really, of either one of them. But when you and I, as individual men and women, get our priorities straight, to where he is the one who is reigning, ruling in our hearts, in all things. Then you know what? Then I become a better husband. And I'm able to love my wife in a deeper, more consistent way than if I'm the one that's reigning and ruling. Don't ask my wife how well I'm doing at that, okay? Otherwise, I'll ask your spouse, okay? And then I'll report it on a Wednesday night. (laughs) Throughout his word, we're told over and over again that it's not by any kind of a merit, any kind of a favor that we've earned. It's through his merits as that spotless and perfect Lamb, that we're able to be raised up to be seated with him in glory. That's why Wesley wrote, by his own eternal spirit, rule in our hearts alone. By thine all sufficient merit, Raise us up to thy glorious throne. It's not my merit. It's not my ability. It's his merit. It's his ability. We need to continually be brought back to the cross to understand that the merit and the favor of our salvation is only through that completed work of Christ. We sang about it tonight. We sang of his birth, his life, his suffering, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And it's through our faith in that completed work that we find freedom from fear and sin, rest for our souls, that complete fulfillment of our hopes and desires, the absolute joy of our hearts. It's only in Christ where we find the one who is born so humbly and yet is the king of all creation, the one who desires to reign and rule in our hearts and lives for our own eternal benefit. That's the amazing thing. He wants to do that for our benefit. And as we look forward to the celebration of his first advent, his first coming, I pray we look forward with that great expectation also of his soon return. Amen.
0: On behalf of Pastor David Landry and the entire production team here at The Open Word, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been a special edition of The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Click on the podcast option on the homepage or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at TheOpenWord.com. That's info at TheOpenWord.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. And again, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.